Good morning. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Toronto Blue Jays lose one nothing. Not a very good game. Yusei Kikuchi spins another one. Seven innings of one run ball. Only three hits and a walk. 6K. And he gets nothing. A big old zero in terms of run support. The Blue Jays can't get to Bybee, Stefan, Classe. Over nine innings, they get nine hits, but five of them were infield hits. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know that you feel uh, super great about that. Three infield hits and two bunt singles. Um, not a single extra base hit for the Blue Jays. They go, stop me if you heard this one before, two for eight with runners in scoring position, leave nine batters on base. And in the ninth inning, Dalton Varsho bunts aboard, steals second base, all with nobody out, and they uh, they can't bring him across. So, that's a a tough one. Tough, tough, tough way to lose. That is the sixth time the Blue Jays have been shut out since June 19th. That is uh, quick math, less than two months. That is more than anyone has been shut out over that stretch of time in, in baseball. So uh, already it feels like those three 14-hit days from the weekend are well behind us here, uh, the Blue Jays offense back to struggling a little bit with uh, first with Gavin Williams and now with Bybee. Um, it, it's, it was a tough one. Ramon Laureano, by the way, uh, doubled in the only run of the game. To my estimation, Yusei Kikuchi only really made one mistake the entire game, and it was that pitch to Ramon Laureano, who, by the way, becomes the first player in baseball to have the lone RBI in a one nothing game in his debut for a team since Ramon Laureano did it for the Oakland Athletics in 2018. Some weird trivia uh, there for you. It was, there, there's a lot to pull from that game. Obviously, a lot of good with Yusei Kikuchi. Um, Genesis Cabrera coming in and giving them a, a good inning uh, as well to keep the game close. But this is going to come down to the inability to hit the inability to execute. And once again, uh, you know, against good young pitchers, but not elite pitchers uh, in Bybee and Williams. Now, Williams, I, I would argue, was elite on Monday, but it's still a couple games in a row here. And you have another one coming up against Logan Allen, who uh, fits the bill with those guys as well. You'll look to get back on, on the winning side. Tonight at 7 o'clock, it's Logan Allen against Kevin Gosman. You have to be looking behind you a little bit because the Mariners have stayed hot. They're only two games back now, and you are, of course, still seven games back of the Baltimore Orioles. So a couple more to get through before this 17-17 and stretch ends, and then they finally get some reprieve with three off days over a span of eight days. Um, A couple of quick updates before we tag in Chris Black here. By the way, we're going to talk to Travis Snyder uh, around 1030. In the second hour, we have Brent LaValle, who's the manager of the Vancouver Canadians, who have one of the best winning percentages in all of affiliated baseball this year. Uh, We'll talk to him about what's going on with that team and who's on the rise there. Uh, Arden's well going to join us as well. Uh, Again, Travis Snyder around 1035. We'll talk to him about what he's doing with 3A Athletics, his, uh, his company that's aimed at you know, the mental health and mental skills side of sports, especially with youth players. Um, and we'll talk to Chris Black momentarily here, but a couple updates for the rest of the series. Kevin Kiermeyer hit the IL yesterday. Nathan Lucas was called up. Um, Kiermeyer's stitches from crashing into the Fenway Park wall uh, are in such a place that he's had trouble bending and extending his, uh, his arm properly without disrupting the stitches. So he'll hopefully just need the minimum there. Um, Jordan Romano is throwing a bullpen session in Toronto today. He responded well on the weekend. Team still undecided if he'll need a rehab outing. 
Uh, Chad Green was making a 6 3 have appearance yesterday for Buffalo and had to come out of that game because Tyler Heineman uh, hit him in the head. As, so uh, a throw down to second base to try to catch a base runner stealing second. Uh, Heineman's throw off of Green's head. Green had to come out of that game. No update on that one yet, um, but not obviously never. Uh, a very good moment when it's a head-related thing. So we'll keep an eye out for Chad Green updates. And then the big one, we'll talk to Arden about this more uh, later in the show, but Hyunjin Ryu seems to have avoided the worst and even the medium bad case from that comebacker off the knee. He is possibly still going to start Sunday. We'll see how that uh, how that happens in the coming days. If it wasn't Ryu, it would almost certainly be last night's pitcher, Yusei Kikuchi, who would be starting on normal rest and who has been tremendous lately joining us now to talk about that and a whole bunch of other things chris black producer at sportsnet king of threads on twitter at down to black chris from montreal how are you uh i'm doing great i think the forecast is good for tennis today and uh world number one igash fiatex playing it's been a ton of fun hanging out with carolyn cameron carly agro tracy austin is really really cool to hang out with it's interesting that you know, when you forget every once in a while that you're just talking, that you're talking to someone with a outstanding a, a athletic exploits, and then she drops a line like, oh, yeah, my friend Billy is a co-owner of the Dodgers. And then you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's different than the rest <laughs> of us. See, I thought you were talking about me there for a second when you forget you're talking to someone who's an elite also, athlete. And, and yeah. Um, no, also you. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Chris is talking about the National Bank Open, which is, uh, you know, the Canadian Open. It's taking place in Toronto and Montreal right now. You can keep up with all of that on the Sportsnet uh, channels. Uh, Devang and Jesse Rubinoff follow me at noon doing a show live from down at the Toronto location. Uh, so, Chris, glad to hear that's going well. You have been able to keep up with the Blue Jays around all of that, though. You say Kikuchi with another banger of an outing yesterday. I think we're looking at, you know, four or five in a row, five in a row without a home run, certainly. Uh, I think four in a row where the walks have been pretty reasonable. Man, what is what is kind of top of mind for you right now when you look at what you say Kikuchi has been doing, not on one-offs, but with some some real regularity now? Yeah, the last time I spoke to you, we were both kind of uh, leaning towards the best option being Kikuchi moving to the pen if and when they scrap the six-man rotation. To, to be clear, because he would be very good in Correct. the bullpen and the other starters don't project to be great bullpen arms, not because you say Kikuchi uh, deserves it on starter merit. Correct. Um, but he's making that decision and that reasoning tough uh, right now. You mentioned the five starts. It's the best five-start span of Yusei Kikuchi's career by ERA, 124 ERA over his last five. He's just been really good. It's still fastballs with two strikes have been really, really effective. And the other pitches that's been really effective over the last maybe month or two is the hard slider. We talked a lot about we talked a lot about the slow curveball, how effective it was early in the season. Lately, that slider that's gone up towards the 88, 89. Opposing hitters are one for 18 against it in August. He hasn't allowed an extra base hit against it since June. It's been a really good pitch. It really is when he's going right with those two pitches, fastball, hard slider. It's not the first time I've said this. There's a bit of a Robbie Ray feel to him when he's bit, when he's getting that hard slider down and into righties. And it's just, he's pitching really, really well. I, I still think that that probably is the smartest <laughs> option, even if like, I know other people have suggested maybe Manoa goes down. I just, I think you're at your best if you keep 
your 13 best pitchers up in whatever fashion that is. And I think their 13 best pitchers include their six quote unquote starters. You mentioned Yusei Kikuchi, the best five start stretch of his career by ERA. Uh, I also look, so, you know, baseball reference uses this stat called game score, which takes every starting pitcher performance and it puts it on a scale from zero to a hundred where 50 is completely league average. So, you know, we can use that as a stand in for say quality start. Um, he has had one stretch where he had six, such starts in a row. This is a, a five start streak right now. Um, and, and that was, you know, early in his 2021 all-star season with Seattle, but his ERA during that stretch, still a very good 277, but he'd given up six home runs. The, the strike of the walk ratio was uh, about four to one. He has been significantly better than even that lofty standard over these last five here. The only thing really getting in his way is that one start against Arizona where he was only allowed to go uh, four and two third during this stretch. He has had just shy of a four to one strikeout to walk ratio and a one twenty four ERA. You mentioned uh, just how many of the pitches are working, just how well he's trusting them. It's been, it's been really good yesterday. Uh, uh, one mistake with the curveball. Maybe you could argue too the, the pitch to Gonzalez that put a runner on for Loriano. But to me, that was just, you know, a guy reached out and kind of hit a similar to Barrios on the weekend. A, a guy hit a, a breaking ball that wasn't in the zone and there's not a ton you can do about that. Um, so Kikuchi in a very good spot for the Blue Jays uh, right now. Kevin Gosman will go tonight, Chris. Last time we saw Kevin Gosman, he had a bit of a weird one against the Orioles. Four and a third. The Orioles kind of went with the super disciplined, try to poke singles, uh, don't swing it too, too much low approach. Now, this is a Guardians team that isn't the best. Outside of Jose Ramirez and to a smaller degree, Stephen Kwan, uh, they're not a very good swing decision team. They, they chase out of the zone and things like that, but they strike out less than any team in baseball. If you're looking at those two almost paradoxical stats. What does that do for you? If you're Kevin Gosman on the Hill tonight? To me, it's about the quality of competition that he faces. I think when he, when Kevin Gosman faces a good team with good hitters who can make, you need to do two things against Gosman. It's not, you're not good enough to just lay off splitters. You still need to be able to hit a 97 mile an hour fastball, or it's been dipping a little bit of late, but, or if you choose to lay off the fastballs, you have to hit a splitter that moves like crazy. Now, good hitters can do that. Good hitters can eliminate one pitch or one part of the plate and still get hits. Bad hitters and bad teams uh, can't necessarily do that. So I looked at uh, his starts this year versus bottom 10 teams and runs per game this year. Four and one, 193 ERA, 63 strikeouts, nine walks. Bad hitting teams don't do well against Kevin Gossman. And I'm hoping that, you know, another start where he's got, where he's in the six man rotation, he's getting good amounts of rest. Maybe the velo is ticking up. And if, that stat holds, we should expect them to dominate again today. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Now, I don't know that anyone that that, that makes anyone super confident in, uh, you know, the playoffs <laughs> because there is only one bad team that gets to make the playoffs and it's the AL Central winner. Uh, hey, maybe that's <laughs> that ends up being the, the Cleveland, uh, the Cleveland Guardians still. OK, so let's uh, let's spin back to the hitter or spin to rather uh, the hitter side because last night they they come up empty but they had this big weekend we haven't talked to you since that weekend and there are some certainly there are some negatives again only only four hits that leave the infield yesterday uh, none of them for extra bases continued issues with runners in scoring position even through the big hit barrage uh, on Friday and Saturday but Chris there are a couple of positives we can look at too 
front of mind up until yesterday when, when he sat out um, was David Schneider's debut. I guess, first of all, when you look at how the ninth inning played out, we did see two pinch hits, but we didn't see David Schneider used. We saw um, Dalton Varshall get the hit, and, and obviously he he bunted for a single. We saw Kevin Biggio get the hit against elite velocity in Emmanuel Classe. Um, maybe, you know, David Schneider, who just swung and missed a bunch against Gavin Williams the day before on high heat and hasn't faced a guy like class a before. Maybe not. That's not the the move specifically, but what did you make in general uh, of the managing of that game last night, um, which included David Schneider, you know, sitting out his first game. Yeah, I think we've seen this a couple of times with pinch hitting decisions. And I do think pinch hitting is a little bit, it is like the analytics and I, I don't know how much they follow that stuff. And it's, I feel like, and I could be completely wrong, I feel like sometimes with that, there's a little bit of seniority is not the right word, but you know, you're going to lean on guys with a little bit more experience in those situations who've seen guys, as you mentioned, who've seen guys before who've been in the league for more than a week. Um, so I, I didn't have any issues uh, necessarily with, with those pinch hitting decisions. And you mentioned a couple of guys who, you know, they've had tough seasons, but also they've been swinging the bat. Okay. So I was okay with that. Okay, so that that's you know that's fair, and I, I still with the Biggio against Velocity, but you yeah. know when you look at the way the rest of the inning played out and who you're going to need, I can understand it to not a degree that I love, but but I at least understand what <laughs> what the thinking was, uh, I guess. Uh, okay, so David Schneider though he sits out that one, so as of course everyone was quick to point out after the game, he still has not experienced the major league loss. The Jays are four zero when he plays. Um, you and I had talked about David Schneider a little bit before his call up, kind of kind of hypothesizing he could be a name, and I know that he's a guy that. You know, the results of the weekend aside, because those aren't going to sustain to any degree, it's it's impossible in the history of baseball. But you are someone who really, really likes the process behind those results and the AAA results from David Schneider. Uh, what do you like uh, about the rookie? Yeah, when we did a deep dive on him before he came up or when he was just coming up, um, the one thing that stood out were swing decisions. And I know it's a, a term or a cliche now, but, you know, he had an elite chase rate. He was 20% in the minors and that's 20% is elite. Brandon Belt leads the Jays at 17%. Chapman and Bijou are 20%. So 20% in the minors, it's very good. Now, obviously it's not apples to apples comparison when you're talking AAA pitching versus major league pitching, but just watching the tape, watching the swing decisions, you saw he had a plan when he went up. And he could execute it. Now, what we've seen in extremely small sample, four games or whatever it is, that chase rate has stayed elite. 18% so far, again, super small sample. So he is Brandon Belt in terms of pitches outside the strike zone. That didn't surprise me seeing those types of swing decisions. What did surprise me was how aggressive he was in the heart of the strike zone. And this is kind of like... This is what I mean by elite swing decisions. It's not only take, 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 which we see Kevin Biggio do uh, so well, especially when he first came up, but it's really aggressive in the heart of the zone. Like he, his swing rate, again, super small sample, is over 80% in the heart of the zone. That's Bo Bichette. So he's Bo Bichette inside the strike zone, and he's Brandon Belt outside the strike zone. So that's that's an elite combination. And, and to me, it's a it's a big reason to be kind of encouraged and optimistic about what could come. It certainly suggests that he's, you know, ready to be here from uh, thinking the game and seeing the the balls from in the batter's box perspective. Um, obviously, a, a bunch of hits on the weekend, a, a monster OPS down at AAA, and he'd only been getting hotter. Um, if there are some 
nits to pick, and this is not to be negative about him, but hey, other teams are going to be pouring over the same stuff we're looking at and trying to find spots to attack Davis Schneider. Um, did it signal anything to you that Cleveland on Monday with Gavin Williams, now this was a, a Gavin Williams outing where he was doing this to just about everyone in the Blue Jays lineup, but they did hammer him with elevated velocity inside the zone and he had a little bit of trouble with that is that something that you're you're keeping an eye on or is that do you chalk that up more to man Gavin Williams was just really on that day yeah I mean the Guardians have a good pitching staff they got a lot of good young talent on their pitching staff listen not everyone can execute those pitches um I think it definitely looks like a potential hole in Schneider's swing, but you know, you've got to, what you're hoping on or banking on is that he'll be able to make those decisions. We just alluded to in terms of, you know, is that pitch at the top of the zone just out? If so, I'm going to lay off. If it's in the zone, I got to swing at it. So he, it definitely seems like those swings he had in Boston, you know, low breakers, low fastballs. Yeah. Teams are going to see that and they're going to attack them in different places. One thing I really liked, uh, we talked about his patience. In the minors, he barely swung at first pitches, kind of like almost Alejandro Kirk level of take pitches. He only had nine hits all year on first pitches in Buffalo. Already in Toronto, he's kind of ambushed a couple times. That swing rate's gone up, and he's already got two hits, including one of those home runs was a first pitch. So I th that, to me, just shows an ability to adapt and kind of anticipate how people might attack you. And I, I think he's smart enough that, or at least it seems as if he's been smart enough that, you know, he'll adjust and kind of realize how teams are attacking him. And, you know, not only will he have to take the ones out of the zone, as we said, he's going to have to learn to kind of see if he can find a way to do damage against those. But, you know, that's the nature of a guy, a guy coming into the majors. And that's why every guy who's played in the league for a bunch of years always tells us it takes a thousand plate appearances or whatever number it is to kind of get comfortable. And I think that'll be the process that we're kind of, that I'm excited to watch over the next year or two. It'll also be interesting to see where his swing decisions are on pitches right at the edges, because the international league where Buffalo plays in triple a uh, is using the um, kind of automated, the, the robot strike zone for, for lack of a better term. And the league walk rate down there is almost 12% with the, the league as a whole posting almost a 360 OBP. So it does seem like that automated, system has enforced a smaller strike zone than, than maybe we see at the major league level. Um, I, I don't think, you know, there was a high fastball he took for a called strike three the other day. I think that's just a, you know, that's a borderline one anyway. Sometimes you're going to take them. Sometimes you're going to, you're going to identify them correctly, but it is, you know, a little something to watch, especially on the edges. Um, and I'm thinking particularly high, if that is a, a spot that he's less effective against. So that'll be fun to watch. Like you said, it, it's uh it's one of the more fascinating things whenever a, a young player comes up and especially I think a young player who is who has this kind of approach and it is that kind of sharper I guess we'll say analytic I was going to say nerdy approach um, where it's you know hey the, these are the he's got the the game plan side of things and the ability to identify things down now it's a matter of can pitchers you know test them on the the physical aspects of it as well can you hit hit elite velocity can you hit you know a backdoor pitch that that maybe a triple a pitcher can't throw it's going to be fascinating uh to watch i wonder if we see him back in there tonight 
against Logan Allen. Someone we'll see back in there tonight against Logan Allen and probably every day for the foreseeable future, Chris, is Dalton Varsho. With Kevin Kiermeyer hitting the IL, Dalton Varsho is the only other player on the Toronto Blue Jays who has played a stitch of center field this year. Even uh, Nathan Lucas, who has been on the roster at times, is back on the roster now, has not even substituted in a blowout in center field. It's been Kiermeyer and Varsho. Uh, Varsho is going to be in there pretty much every day. On a little bit of a, we're lower in the bar here, admittedly, five-game hit streak. Uh, yesterday's hit was a, a bunt. It was a good bunt. It's a fun bunt. You and I are pro Dalton Varsho and Brandon Belt bunts in the right situations. Um, but if we zoom out a little bit, there's a 10-game stretch here where he's only struck out four times. That's a that's a 12% strikeout rate over that stretch. Um, and, and I know you had a thread right before we came on today. I didn't read it because I didn't want to spoil the, the conversation here. Tiny sample sizes, but things were pretty bad there for Dalton Varsha for a while. Are you starting to see some pro side side stuff that suggests maybe he's rounding out of this? This is one of those things where you don't really know what the change was necessarily made for, like what the reasoning is, but there was a change. There's a, I like when I see something, I like when you look at the numbers, as you said, something small, five game hit streak, 10 game, good tech game stretch. And then you look and you see, has anything changed fundamentally to make these numbers mean more than just a small sample? And when you looked, if you go back to, you know, when the start of this 10-game sample was, it was last Sunday against the Angels. And when you look at that game, compare it to games previous, like kind of recently, uh, kind of games just before, there was like a significant change. And if you look back, and I've got a thread on this on Twitter, he went back to, you know, in May or so, he had a little toe tap that he started the year with. He went away from it in early May, kind of doing a tiny leg kick, a little bit of a drift forward. Well, that went away. Um, it worked for a bit in early May. His best stretch did come when he made that change, but we all know what happened after. He went really cold. And in these last 10 games, he's gone back to the toe tap. He's gone a little wider at the plate. He seems a little bit more closed of a stance, and he's gone back to this little toe tap. Now, again, I don't know because I literally just noticed this in the last couple of days. Who knows what the reasoning's for, but it's led to good results, both in terms of production, batting average, slugging, all that stuff, but also the chase has gone down. The overall swing rate has gone down. Just kind of qualitatively, it seems like he's seeing the ball better. His takes look more comfortable. So as I said, like when there's small sample stuff, it always makes you go now – just let's wait a little bit, but I don't think it's an arbitrary start point when it's tied to kind of a, a mechanical adjustment like this. So who knows what it, what the result will be, but he's made a change and it's led to good results. So for me, that's encouraging. And as you said, like it, it's based on where he was, There's we'll take any kind of production and progress that we can get from him. Uh, David Schneider is also someone who uh, ditched a leg kick in favor of a toe tap. So maybe David Schneider's joined the, the hitting coaching staff here as as well. And uh, that's trickling down. Um, in addition to the toe tap, it also looked like from the screenshots that, that I saw quickly that he's closed off his stance a little bit. Do, do you put much in that? It's It's a weird one because like thinking about how you'd be comfortable in the batter's box, a closed stance, a more closed stance to me. I don't know. It kind of feels like you, you'd get less of a window into seeing the ball, but maybe there's something uh, about that as well. Or is that just probably related to the toe tap mechanics? I, I think it's toe tap. There's also like a part of me. It does. He definitely seems a little bit more closed. I think sometimes you get into this and this is baseball TV <laughs> production nerdum. 
but like the pitch angle is different in each in each stadium. Well, that's so why you look at the feet. Bit, you look at the feet in the it, batter's box yeah, rather than the, the shoulders. The feet, I know it's still yeah. Like so, he's definitely a little more closed. I think the Boston angle made it seem like he's even more closed than he maybe is. But anyways, regardless, I think that I think closing up could be just a case of you know the natural place that leads you to is maybe he thought he was flying open too early. The shoulder was flying up. That was causing pop-ups. Who knows? And maybe it ca- allows him to be flatter. The triple he hit on the two-strike pitch, he had a really flat bat path. That's kind of a a remedy for when people are throwing you a bunch of high fastballs. So that could be an adjustment that he's trying to make to try and get that bat path a lot flatter for those high pitches. So again, like to me, like this is always step one of something when you notice it. Now you want to go talk to people about it. So, you know, we'll get the, uh, the experts on it. I'm just, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just, I'm not going to use a term, but I'm just a, you know, a TV producer (laughs) in front of a laptop, but um, you know, we'll leave it to the experts, the Joe Settles and the Buck Martinez's of the world to uh, figure out why he did it. And they'll talk to the right people. But again, it's encouraging to me. And uh, as you said, they're going to need him. And to me, this was why you got him. It's it's not just all the little things in terms of base running and defense. It's also like durability. There's That's why you get a 25-year-old or whatever he is, because you've got 30-plus-year-old outfielders alongside him. And so, you know, the availability is a skill. And that's also proved kind of beneficial this year. That was also an argument, though, in favor of going out and get an extra righty bat that can play the outfield at the deadline. But Davis Schneider uh, filling in there for now. Uh, it'll be a good test tonight for Dalton Varsho and exactly how that's working out because it's a lefty on the hill in Logan Allen. And uh, hey, guess what? The only other guy on the roster who's capable of filling in at center field, Nathan Lucas, is uh, A, not someone they're going to uh, play a ton in general, but B, is also a lefty. So I think we'll get a a good test of Varsho lefty-lefty tonight in a lineup that will otherwise be pretty righty-heavy. One of those righties, Chris, will be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I know we kind of do a a check-in on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. every two weeks or so because, you know, it's been a little up and down. You know, the OPS down around, I think, 780 at this point. There's also... You know, for so long, there's been positive indicators in Vlad's batted ball data. The exit velocities are what they are. They're they're top of the class. Um, his launch angle right now, his average launch angle has tied a career high. So he's, he's getting the ball in the air more. But there's also a weird thing happening in his batted ball data when it comes to actually barreling the ball. What, what are you seeing there? And have you been able to make heads or tails of that kind of curious barrel stat with Vlad? Yeah, we noticed this uh, kind of a month or two into the year. This, these numbers started to creep up. I remember talking to you about it briefly. I talked to Mike Petriello about it, tr- trying to figure out what it could be. But here's the deal. So against Baltimore last week, two on first inning, he squared up a ball against Jack Flurry, hit it to center field right on the nails. Based on the exit velocity, launch angle, all that stuff, it was deemed a barrel, as you said. Best type of contact you can make, he squared it up, all that stuff. But he lined out to center field. And to me, this isn't a pull opposite field argument. I I find those tiring. But to me, it's just something weird is happening when he barrels a ball. So most most players, most people in Major League Baseball, when you barrel a ball, real good things are going to happen. You know, a good slugging average just overall is 500 or something, let's say, elite. When you barrel a baseball, a slugging average is like 2,000 or 2,500. With Vladdy this year, his slugging average – no one in the StatCast era has ever ever barreled up 40 or more pitches and slugged less on those barrels than Guerrero. 
when he barreled the ball two years ago in 2021, it averaged 390 feet. It's down to 365 feet this year when he barrels a ball. Now, I don't know what the possible reasoning could be. I don't know if it's something about him, his mechanics. We, Mike Petriolo and I talked a little bit about, is he imparting too much topspin on the ball when he's barreling it? So it's kind of bringing the ball down into the park. Again, this is something where I don't know, but it's just this the short distance on these barrels and the sh- and the low slugging is just really really strange and honestly like if if this production just changed on the balls that he squares up his season would look a lot more normal so but again like is it something that he's doing is it something random will it normalize next year this is again stuff i'm not smart enough for but just stuff i'm noticing but yeah it's just something really strange and i don't know what i don't know what you're if you have any theories but it's just a a strange kind of number that jumps out he's getting the anti aaron judge treatment is is my thing they are putting in special (laughs) balls that suppress vladimir guerrero jr's uh ability so among all players this year who have barreled at least 10 balls there are 280 them and he's 269th in slugging percentage when he actually barrels it it's even if we lower the qualification to guys who have just barreled it like like this list includes like stone garrett and starling Marte, like luisa rise who who's a line drive guy not a barrel guy even if we include some of those lighter hitting guys who you wouldn't expect to put big charges into it vlad's still almost bottom of the league 269 out of 280 uh in slugging on those barrels it's a it's an odd one to figure out and it's uh it's not one i have a good answer for just yet i might have to hit up our pals uh robert Orr at baseball prospectus and see if some of his work with damage rate which takes barrel rate and launch angle and exit velocity uh all together to try to come up with one metric uh if there's any indicators there we'll see um chris what's your favorite uh, tennis advanced stat Ooh, uh, you know what? I get to talk to these Hawk, the, the Hawkeye people mm. uh, who do all the tennis stuff. They, It's the technology that they use in baseball now too. But one of the best parts about producing these events is I have like a, a running, I have a, a audio line to the Hawkeye guy, the whole match. So we're just talking about nerd stats. We're nice. talking about baseball nerd stats, tennis nerd stats. I like the, uh, the, I like the positioning of the, the uh, ball, where you're hitting the ball on the court, people who move into the court being aggressive uh, tend to have success. Love diving into, the, into that stuff. But yeah, we've been nerding out uh, during the bit, during the tennis quite a bit. And then, of course, there's the Milos Raonic uh, exit velocity on the serve, right? That's uh, that's the big one. Yeah, he's got some elite velo on the serve for sure. All right. Uh, Chris Black, thanks for taking the time out this morning. Keep up the great work at the National Bank Open, which everyone could check out on the Sportsnet television uh, channels emanating from both Toronto and Montreal. Thanks, Chris. See you later, guys. Chris Black, a producer at Sportsnet, usually on the Blue Jays side, the Blue Jays broadcast, or Blue Jays Central, uh, right now on the National Bank Open, which you can can continue to check out on uh, Sportsnet throughout the week. Again, Devang Desai and Jesse Rubinoff following me today. They're live down at Sobe Stadium as the National Bank Open continues here in Toronto. Chris is down uh, in Montreal. We're going to take a break. This weekend here in Toronto, Jose Batista will go into the Toronto Blue Jays and Rogers Center level of excellence uh one of our favorite guests in general but also someone who played with jose batista in his formative blue jays years is travis snyder he joins us next as jays talk plus continues on the sports radio network and sports at 360 in-depth blue jays coverage with an analytical twist jays talk plus with blake murphy be sure to subscribe and download jays talk on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts
Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, Jay's lose last night. one nothing to Cleveland. Uh, tough one. T- tough to come up empty with the outing you say Kikuchi gave you uh, in his best stretch of pitching since maybe his all-star season with Seattle and probably even better than that if we uh, dive in on some of the numbers. It's been pretty good. Speaking of Seattle, let's go to the Pacific Northwest. Let's bring in former Toronto Blue Jay, all-around good dude, Travis Snyder. Travis, how are you this morning? I'm doing good. Watching a little rain drizzle, hoping this clears up for my golf game later today. I was going to ask. It's uh, we're deep into summer here. What is the like? What's the the best course you've done this summer? What's the what's the highlight of the golf summer? Man, we went to Pebble Beach, played Spanish Bay, played uh, Spyglass, which was probably my favorite non-Pebble course. We did a little boys trip down there in April, which was electric. Awesome. How'd you shoot? I uh, didn't break 100 at Pebble. I broke, I think I was low 90s or high 80s at Spyglass. So I was kind of up and down. My body, as I'm learning, playing four or five days in a row, I got too many miles on this thing to be pulling those. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, uh, I hope you get your round in, in today uh, nonetheless. Um, so, Travis, we had you on a, a little while back and right before you, you played in the, the Hall of Fame game and represented uh, the Blue Jays there. We talked to you about a couple things, including, you know, coaching this year, coaching some of your, your, some of your kids this summer uh how has that been um you know i I know you and ricky had a a little bit of a a friendly back and forth about who's the better coach and things like that how are you feeling uh, a couple more months into the coaching journey well we're our season wrapped up in june so we had a good two month three month stretch um and it was really rewarding just at the coach pitch level my six-year-old son and his you know four or five buddies from preschool and and just brings back a lot of really good memories for me as a kid I had a close group of friends that I played with basically from t-ball all the way through high school um, with some of them kind of going off to different sports along the way but that that core group uh, and what I'm learning as a parent is just watching how much safer and how much more fun my kid has when he's got his buddies there with him versus just taking him on to some random team and, and trying to push him, you know, onto the next organization. And I know that that's something that, that means a lot to you. You've co-founded 3A Athletics. We talked to you a little bit about it um, last time. I know you guys also have some some books coming out on the parent side, a, a book called Hero. On the coaching side, a book called Coaching Revolution. Those are guidebooks for uh, baseball and soccer at both the parent and coaching level. Um, Travis, as you've talked about this more over the last couple of months or so, um, how special has it been to see the the response you've gotten on social media, not only to the, the 3A athletics endeavor, but also just your own stories and your own openness about your time as a player? Yeah, I think it's been incredibly empowering. Um, extremely grateful for all the fans that have supported me through the ups and downs of my career. And now we've kind of come full circle where I feel like my purpose, you know, in life after baseball is to be able to not only give back to the game that I love, um, but to also, as a parent, go through this experience and and find people like my partner, Seth Taylor, uh, and the many great psychologists out there that we'll hopefully be connecting with over the next six to 12 months and developing products for parents and for coaches to understand how deep the relationship is with the sport that our kids play. And I know hockey is, you know, a big one up there. Eventually, we hope to have a hockey version of this parent and coach guidebook because it's really not about teaching your kids how to play a sport. It's about developing healthy relationships and giving them a foundation of identity outside of just being a baseball player to go out there and thrive in whatever they do in life and, and be able to teach them the tough lessons along the way without bringing our own stuff in as parents, which we all carry, right? Baggage from our childhood and our own experiences. I know something you, you've tweeted about fairly recently, especially as you know, high school and college seasons come to an end, is that 
difficult needle to thread of, hey, self-awareness is a really important tool and it's a it's really important for an athlete or for anyone, but also you have to do that. You have to self-evaluate with a level of kindness and, and kind of grace for yourself. Um, how... how how much of the forefront is that in what you're talking about in some of these books? Or is that something, you know, is that a skill that comes, you know, maybe a little later on than, than the age group you're talking about with these guidebooks? Yeah, so when we eventually write the player version, we will have different age group versions of it so that we can kind of target, you know, the different steps of what the kids are going through and experiencing. As you get older, you get more specialized in the sport. You know, I always encourage kids to play as many sports as you can until you – you know, reach a point later in high school, if you got a chance to go to college or play professionally, then maybe you specialize. So going back to that, that whole awareness thing, for me, it's, I was very lucky to play on some great youth baseball teams, had a lot of success, didn't experience a lot of failure. And I think ultimately what I see kids going through, whether it's in high school, college, or professional levels, is eventually you reach that level where you kind of top out and you hit your ceiling, for lack of a better term. And and for me, having unpacked a lot of these things in my major league career and the experiences that I had going up and down and how that really just brought that ceiling down lower. And what we're trying to really provide is, is a, a, a conversation for all of us as parents, coaches, and eventually the players to be able to build a better support system, understand how we can we can provide athletes with a better opportunity to succeed in life so that when that jersey eventually gets taken from them, as mine was two years ago, it's not that identity crisis that we all go through, whether it's in professional sports or being a professional or any walk of life. And again, those those books, um, those guides for both parents and coaches called Hero and Coaching Revolution, respectively, uh, those will be up on Amazon publishing uh, at some point in the next couple of months from 3A Athletics. So people should keep an eye out for that. Also keep an eye on, on your Twitter account, of course, Lunchbox, 40, Lunchbox Hero uh, 45 for, for more updates there. Uh, Travis, I do want to pivot now to your uh, baseball career. Talk a little bit about uh, your time eventually with Jose Batista, but I know you, you tweeted a funny thing the other day, man, you see this Tim Anderson, Jose Ramirez scrap, bring back a little bit of memories for you for, from the, the Pittsburgh and Milwaukee scuffle you were a big part of. Yeah. I had uh, one of the minor leagues and one of the major leagues. And again, we're not trying to promote fighting to the youth, but it, it, you know, boys will be boys out there on the field. And for me, it was, it was Easter Sunday, so I couldn't pick the worst day. My wife wasn't at the game, um, and I ended up getting smoked by a cheap shot and, you know, went into the clubhouse with a smile on my face and blood dripping down and, and had to send her some pictures. She wasn't too happy about that. <laughs> but, you know, ultimately, ultimately you spend, you know, as much time as we do with the same group of, of men and, and you come together as brothers and you, you look for opportunities to stand up for each other and be a leader in a situation like that. And I, I don't think being a leader means going out and fighting somebody on the other team, but Again, these things happen in, in baseball. They happen a lot more in hockey. Um, and it's just one of those things when it happens during the season, you only get a couple of them to comment on. And, and right, like you said, we don't we don't want to glorify that. We don't want to promote it to, to youth or anything like that. But it did happen, and we can talk about it and, and take a step forward. Um, you mentioned leadership within that. And I know that this time of year – leadership is kind of front of mind for a lot of these teams that are, Hey, the playoffs are coming, but the deadlines behind us, the playoff push isn't quite, quite here yet. I know you tweeted about exactly this, uh, this morning. What is this time of year life? Like this time of year, like in the clubhouse, I know you were on some Pittsburgh pirates teams that eventually made a run into the playoffs, but this kind of middle of August dog days, how does a team best manage this right now? Yeah, so when I got traded to Pittsburgh from Toronto in 12, we were in first place, and we ended up not making the playoffs. And I think 
we had an inexperienced group of guys who had not really gone through that playoff pressure. And I know the Blue Jays have broken that streak as well and had success over the last five, ten years. But the leaders in that clubhouse, it's that time where we really need to say, hey, guys, whatever the media is saying, whatever you're hearing on the streets, doesn't matter. we got to stay focused on what we can control in this room. Uh, and not get caught up in the race, which the media and the fans, this is what makes baseball great and every sport great, is watching the playoff race unfold. But for the players, this is the time to insulate. It's the time to to really pull each other together and say, you know, we're going to – we're going to take that next man up mentality. If somebody goes down, we got to be prepared for our 24th and 25th guys to help us win games. I guess it's now 26, um, but really being in that position where it's all hands on deck every single day, whatever it takes to win every single night and not get caught up in the, how many games back are we? And, you know, if we had a tough one loss, one, nothing loss to Cleveland last night, you know, let's take the wins from that. The guy pitched really well, who's had some struggles, and, and we're looking to really put this ship in the right direction and, and keep the wind in the sails. So when you were with the, before you got traded to, to Pittsburgh, you were obviously with the Toronto Blue Jays. Everyone remembers your, your time here very fondly. Um, you were a teammate of Jose Batista for a lot of your time here. He was acquired kind of late in your rookie season. You, you guys spent a couple of seasons together. He's going into the Blue Jays' level of excellence this weekend. That makes, I believe, two former teammates of yours in Halliday and Batista. Uh, to go up there now. Um, what do you remember uh, about your time as Jose Batista's teammate? And I guess how cool is it for you to see uh, another former teammate go up in the level of excellence? How cool is it that I get to be there at Rogers Center oh, this you're weekend coming. on the field? Oh, yeah, I'll be there with Jose and a bunch of the boys, um, you know, from that 15, 16 team, I think, that went to the playoffs that I got to play with later in my career. So it's going to be a great group, and we get to celebrate a great guy. Jose was somebody who made a massive transition in his career, one that I tried to replicate later in my career as I'd gone through my struggles. And he was always a, a, a person I could pick up the phone, I could call, I could get advice from. So, you know, I have nothing but great things to say about Jose and our time together. You know, we started as platoon partners out in left field when Rios was playing right field. Uh, and, you know, we spent a lot of time away from the field together too. And he's a guy that is just incredibly intelligent and watching the way he developed his process of studying pitchers. There was a lot of hype around, were we getting signs? I never got a sign from anybody in the stands or any, you know, any of the, the conspiracy theorists out there that were saying that kind of stuff. But I did watch him and I watched Edwin who learned a lot from Jose going through this process where they studied like absolute maniacs, watching pitchers, watching for just little tips that they could pick up. And I think that's one thing I, I admired the most about Jose is not only the later career transformation that he made, but also how hard he worked to prepare himself every single night so that if that right-hander came out of the bullpen in the seventh inning and their guys on second and third, he knew what pitch he was going to because he watched the film. He did the work. That's uh, that's very cool to hear. And I, and like you said, the, the impact on Edwin, the impact on a guy like yourself, um, that's a form of leadership too, right? That lead by example and doing that level of preparation. Um, Travis, the year that he hits... 54 home runs. So 2009, the year prior, he has a, a rough year, but starts to pick it up late in September. I think he had nine September, September yep. nine September home runs and six in the last couple of weeks. And then 2010 rolls around. He ends up hitting 54. You guys in the clubhouse watching that, like at what point did you kind of realize something had clicked? And, and like, like that is such a huge jump in the level of player Jose Batista was. Um, at what point did it kind of set in for you guys that, that, this guy was this version of Jose Batista now? I mean, seeing it in September, you saw the adjustment that he made in his swing and credit to Dwayne Murphy, who's one of my favorite all-time coaches who will be there this weekend as well to celebrate Jose uh, and help Edwin as well. He, 
you could just see the way the ball is coming off the bat. And if you understand topspin versus backspin, he was backspinning line drives all over the field. Whereas early in his career and what I did a lot later in my career was a lot of topspin kind of rollover line drives that don't have that trajectory and that carry that just take off and leave the ballpark. So watching that transformation at the end of 09, you could see, oh man, if he's able to carry this over into 2010, this is going to be electric. But I don't think any of us would have predicted he would have hit 54. And that's where I think he had 54. I think Lindy had 30-something. Hilly had... It was just such a fun year for all of us as uh, teammates to watch these guys just hitting absolute tanks. And, and Jose really just taking that next step to become Joey Batch, to become a superstar, and you know, arguably one of the faces of MOB during that time. Um, it was just awesome to see all that hard work that he had put in and not giving up despite the challenges he had coming over from multiple organizations and just really stuck with it and believed in what he was doing. And it went out there and showed it for a number of years on the field. Hey, you mentioned everyone else's home run total. You had a career high home runs that year too. Yeah, I got I got the career high that year, and I also got to hit one with the uh, fake Cito mustache on my face, which I think is still one of my favorite baseball memories is the eye black over the upper lip and hitting a leadoff home run. I think it was Javier Vasquez or something like that. So Unbelievable. Um, so the next year, Jose comes back, and he leads the league in home runs again, but it's also this massive spike in, in how much pitchers are avoiding him. He leads the league in walks. He laps the league in intentional walks. Um, that element, when you're in the lineup with a guy who's being pitched, around to that level obviously he still hit 43 home runs they weren't pitching him around pitching around him uh to too great effect he led the league in ops still but when you're a part of a lineup where someone is being avoided so much like that what does that do to the rest of the lineup i mean blood in the water man <laughs> dark smell blood in the water and jose was one of those guys that just set that precedent i think you know edwin i don't remember what he had as far as a year that year but as as we were kind of transitioning as a ball club in 2011, it, I spent more time in AAA that year than I did in the big leagues. But, man, just following the, the success of what Jose was doing, not only from hitting from home runs, but like you said, the approach at the plate. And that's that's a product of studying. And that's if you watch any of the uh, you know quarterback on ESPN or Netflix or whatever it is, you see how hard quarterbacks study just to learn all the plays and read the defenses and get the reads. And that's one thing I think people don't understand about baseball. And you mentioned Roy Holiday. That guy was the hardest worker, the hardest studier I ever saw. And Jose was one of those guys that really took it on the offensive side and said, okay, I'm going to watch hours and hours of film, and I'm not going to overthink all this stuff, but it's going to be in the back of my mind, like I said, second and third, two outs, what's his best pitch? That's a pitch I'm sitting on, or that's a pitch I'm eliminating and waiting for the mistake, and just watching him do it night after night was special. That's uh, that sounds like a, sounds like a blast, Ben. Sounds like you would have picked up a lot from him. Okay, so you're going to be here. I wasn't 100% sure if you were coming down for this weekend. Uh, what is the plan? Are, are the clubs coming with you? Are a couple of you guys getting out to a course? What's the what's on the docket outside of the actual game on Saturday? That's a great point. I I actually got invited to stay for the fantasy camp on Monday, so I'll be I'll be unied up playing in the Rogers Center with the uh, you know all the people that are signed up and, and paid to be on the fantasy camp roster. So looking forward to that experience on Monday. Saturday's the big the big party for Jose. You know, I got Sunday open. So if anybody's out there, it's got a nice country club, they want to go play some golf, I might bring the sticks. It's kind of a long way to travel. And, and as you know, it's tough going across the borders with, with extra gear. But I'm open if anybody's got something. I'm sure you're going to get a, a bunch of tweets after saying that uh, on the radio here. Uh, Travis Snyder, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning, man. Uh, looking forward to seeing you this weekend and hope the rain holds off for your round today. All right, man. Have a great one.
Travis Snyder, former Toronto Blue Jay, uh, also of 3A Athletics, and those coaching and parent guides that we mentioned will be up on Amazon Publishing uh, at some point in the next couple of weeks through 3A Athletics. They're called Hero on the parent side and Coaching Revolution on the coach side. Again, those are uh, guidebooks for baseball and soccer focused on uh, an awareness and some tools for how to keep athletes forging healthy relationships with sport as they uh, work through the youth levels. Uh, you can also keep an eye on Travis Snyder's uh, Twitter page at Lunchbox Hero 45 uh, for more updates on that. And yes, if you want to take them to your country club on Sunday, apparently that is uh, an open invite there as well. So Saturday is uh, Jose Batista day. He's being honored going to level of excellence down at Rogers Center. Uh, there will be a pregame ceremony. Uh, the game is at three o'clock, but you're going to want to get there early if you are um, heading down to the game, you probably want to get there around 2.30. There's a special edition of Blue Jay Central, which starts at 2.30. And the first 20,000 fans uh, to get to the ballpark will receive a bat flip bobblehead, of course. Uh, Jay Shop at Rogers Center is also going to have uh, a bunch of special and, and authentic items uh, for this Jose Batista weekend. So lots and lots, lots of ways to commemorate after the fact uh, if you're down at the game as well. On top of which, hey, the Cubs are here, and that should be a, a pretty fun weekend series uh, regardless. The Cubs, who uh, have managed to stay pretty hot of late, we don't have uh, official probable pitchers yet, but if you are looking ahead, if they stay on turn around their off day Thursday, you'd be seeing Drew Smiley on Saturday, uh, Justin Steele Friday, and Canadian Jamison Tyon on Sunday. So a, a good little series of matchups there as well. We'll see how the Jays uh, handle their side of things. We can be fairly certain that we're going to see Barrios and Bassett Friday, Saturday and staying with the six man rotation because we know Gosman's going today. Manoa is going for the 1 p.m. start tomorrow. Uh, the big question mark is Sunday, whether Hyunjin Ryu will make that start or if they'll go back to Yusei Kikuchi on normal rest uh, because of the line drive that uh, Hyunjin Ryu took off of his uh, off of his knee. Um, I don't know why I thought Jamison Tyon was Canadian for a second. Um, my my brain is fuzzy uh, a little bit uh, today. He's not. Uh, anyway, Drew Smiley potentially uh, on the hill. We'll we'll keep an eye on Chicago Cubs probable pitchers for the weekend as those comes out, and we'll continue to set you up for Jose Batista Day down at the Rogers Center on Saturday. Throughout the course of the week, couple more guests coming Thursday and Friday. Right now, we're going to take a break. We're going to take it to Vancouver. After uh, the Vancouver Canadians won again last night, they are 63 and 39. It is one of the best winning percentages in all of affiliated minor league baseball. Brent LaValle, the manager of that team, the Toronto Blue Jays high A affiliate will join us next as Jays talk plus continues on the Sportsnet radio network and sports at 360. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy, and I just did one of the... One of my least favorite things to do on radio is say something, then second guess yourself and correct it, and then it turns out you were correct in the first place. Uh, Jamison Tyon, not born in Canada, but is Canadian, played for Canada in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, just tripped up over that. So apologies to Jamison Tyon and uh, Canadian baseball fans everywhere. Canadian baseball fans in Vancouver should be down at the Nat pretty much every time they're at home 
right now because the Vancouver Canadians, the high A ball affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays, have been one of the very best teams in all of minor league baseball. They win again last night. They are now 63 and 39. Tremendous record, winning percentage well above 600. They have graduated an awful lot of players up to that double A New Hampshire Fisher Cats team. Uh, what's going on there? How are they succeeding the way they are? The manager of that team, Brent LaValle, joins us now. Brent, good morning, man. How are you? Good morning, Blake. Uh, things are good out here. How are you? I, I'm good. I appreciate you joining us early your time. Uh, it was a night game, of course, last night and uh, a, a pretty dramatic one. You guys pull another one out. Um, man, the success that you guys have had so far this year, again, I mentioned it, 63 and 39 record, top of the, the Northwest League. Uh, you guys have already clinched a spot for the playoffs by being the, the first half loop uh, top team. What do you attribute the success that you guys have been able to have this year to? Uh, I mean, just, just having the right guys and, and putting the right things in focus in front of them and, and then just letting them do their jobs and, you know, grow along with this season. So really just the situations we allow these guys to be in and, and they're flourishing. So it's been a great, great start to the season and uh, looking forward to the stretch here. I know you guys made the the playoffs last year as well. And what was your first uh, official year as manager of that Vancouver Canadians team because the, the pandemic delayed things and everything like that. Um, what did you pick up from year one that you've been able to take into year two at the helm? Oh gosh, we're learning. We're learning every day here. Um, things to do, not to do, you know, what you want to repeat, uh, what you want to stay away from, but no, it's, it's just the experience of being in this league, knowing, you know, knowing the grind, knowing um, what the days off look like and, and just kind of your flow. So, um, you know, experience is a real, is a real, uh, it's a real thing and it, it really helps. So um, we were lucky to make a really good run there in the second half last year. And a lot of that team started with us this year. So the experience that comes with the playoffs, the lead, the competition, it all, it all helps. And it's all going into uh, helping us be successful right now. When you, I know that everything is, you know, the player development has to come first, but when you are in a position where you've already clinched a playoff spot by winning the, the first half loop there, does that change anything for you at all down the stretch in terms of what you can prioritize or, or do prioritize or, or even the patient patience level you're able to have with certain things? Um, you know, initially you'd think that you would manage or we would play just slightly different, but at the end of the day, I mean, our hitters are trying to hit the ball hard. Mm. Our pitchers are trying to get outs and, and, you know, and get, you know, get punch outs and just weak contact. So, you know, the, the premise doesn't change. Um, and if anything, we're just learning how, even though you're playing loose, you know, you're still playing well and you're still, you know, there's, there's a, an advantage to being loose and to knowing that you have 27 outs to use, you know, every night. And, and that's what we saw last night. I mean, I think we used more than that, but um, yeah, you're, you're down to your last two outs and you hit a game tying homer in the ninth. That's, that's the story of this, of this club. And um, yeah, having, having the first half locked up might help with that, but really this has been a pretty laid back group and uh, you know, it's just kind of not, not if we get the job done, but who's going to get the job done. And, and that's just been the, the way it's gone all year. Yeah, I believe you guys used uh, 31 outs last night because you, you finished it up in the 11th with uh, with only one out. You had a, a couple still to go there when uh, when Rios hit the, the winning home run there. Um, so 
you mentioned that a lot of the guys you started this year with were with you for the second half last year when you when you really made that strong push and made it to the playoffs uh, through the second half loop. Now, that group started this season with you. Some of those guys have started to graduate to the New Hampshire Fisher Cats of double-A ball. How, what, what is it like for you managing not only, you know, losing those guys to, to a higher level, which I'm sure you feel great about because they're your guys and they're continuing uh, their development upward, but the process, you know, in, in the clubhouse and managing that team, when those guys graduate and you have to integrate new pieces on the fly, where is the challenge in that for you? Um, the challenge is not, not as much as you might think, just because of how great of a job the organization does in, in camp settings and spring training um, and just all those moments leading up to the season. So um, we do a great job in spring training of kind of moving some pieces around where the guys who might be, who will be coming to us or, you know, in our, in our example, the guys that we send in New Hampshire, they've worked with that staff before in some context, they've worked with a lot of those guys. They've been teammates before uh, just, you know, in different jerseys or, or earlier parts of the season. So the integration, the clubhouse thing is great. I mean, the guys down in the guys down in Dunedin, the staff there, they're doing a great job, and they're sending guys to us that are ready and and guys that know how to prepare. And then I feel like we're doing the same thing as we send guys up to Double A New Hampshire. Is you know they know how to assimilate and in the in the clubhouse they know how to to you know follow the rules and and just kind of be themselves. And um, so it's really an organizational thing. Like if it didn't if it didn't come from top to bottom and bottom to top. I mean, that's where the, the problems would come. But for us, it's just uh, our clubhouse is a great place to be. And it's easy to get get in and fit in there. How close an eye are you able to keep on your guys when they when they go up to New Hampshire? Like, are you box score surfing every day? Are you, tr- you trying to catch uh, video if you can when you guys are, are on the road or have some downtime? Like, like how much are you, you know, checking in on, on Nunez or, or Dallas or, or guys like that as they uh, as they leave you guys and join New Hampshire? Yeah, no, it's cool you ask. It's goosebumps. It gives me goosebumps <laughs> thinking about it. Uh, we watch nearly every New Hampshire game in our in our clubhouse. Uh, just with the time difference, it works out really well, uh, especially when we're at home. We, we got the MILB TV up, and, uh, yeah, we're watching the Fisher Cats play nightly. Um, and if it's not them, it's Buffalo. And if it wasn't them, it, it would definitely be Dunedin, but they don't have video of their games. So if we're not watching the big league team, it's uh, – you know, mostly it's New uh, New Hampshire and then and then Buffalo as well because there's some guys that have you know, are climbing up there too. So it, it's a really cool thing being in the clubhouse, cheering on your former players and you know watching them succeed at the next level. Yeah, a couple guys already have gone all the way from you guys with Vancouver to Buffalo this year. Connor Cook uh, just got the the bump out of the out of the bullpen from you guys to Double A and, and now to Triple A. Um, you have lost a, a number of guys to that Double A team: Riley Torada, Rainer Nunez, Chad Dallas. Um, rec- more recently, Michael Dominguez after the the trade deadline shuffling. Alan Roden, wh- who was such a key piece at the top of your of your order. Um, you know, which of those guys, I mean, all of them I'm sure is the answer, but are there any of those guys that, you know, really stand out to you for the, the work they did in the, in the first half of this season or, or even going back uh, to last year with you guys to get them to that point? Yeah. Everyone you just mentioned has, you know, a huge part in, in the stamp that we're putting down for this year. And, and shoot, we just moved another really good one last night and Michael Turconi. So he's, he's probably flying right now. Um, no, it, it's just incredibly cool, and it's great to see these guys live their dream and, and to get the, 
get to face the next challenge and uh, you know you see them next year in spring training and it's just great to hear about how the season ended up and uh, you know just just the things they learned with you know while they're with you here at this at this current spot and and how that's helping them go into their next spot and um, you know you see guys like David Schneider in the big leagues and he was here last year at this time mm. actually he was probably in New Hampshire by this time but um, you know a year ago he was with these guys so I think, you know, especially watching Schneider make his debut last weekend, it really put a put a time frame on how close some of these guys really are. So um, it's cool, cool to see it come all for full circle there. Given Schneider's story as someone who, you know, took a while in the minor leagues, and he's even talked about he almost left baseball at one point when he was kind of at his lowest. How helpful a teaching tool do you think David Schneider is going to be for you to be able to point to that success story in the organization and say, hey, just stick with it. Like, look at what can happen. Yeah, I think it's easy to see their end result and and try to, you know, carve and copy that and and give, you know, give guys hopes through that. Um, if you don't know the person and the, and the, just what's gone into the work behind Davis, um, that's what re- really makes it special. And that's, that's the piece that we love, you know, and we love how much he worked and how much he committed to himself and his craft. And the, the guys who know him, they, they know that and they hear the, the stories of, of where he's come from and how much he's overcome. So it's great. To, it's great for us to see, the end product and what's, what's happening on, you know, on TV, on the big leagues right now, but uh, knowing the work and, and guys that were his teammates or still or have been his teammates are, are still here with us possibly. And, and the legend of how he works and how he prepares and things like that. And it's very, very similar for all of those guys in the big leagues. I'm sure it's, it's uh, the work that goes into getting them there is, is just terrific. And, and I'm glad and happy to, to have seen it and been a part of it. So uh, that's what these guys can copy and, and kind of take forward with them. I hope uh, a name you mentioned a, a minute ago and, and Hey, this hasn't even hit the transaction wire yet, but Michael Turconi in the lineup for you guys uh, tonight and now going up to double a, he's a guy, another guy, you know, 15th round pick and sure a little, maybe a little over age because he, he's already 24 at the level that he's been at with you guys, but hitting almost 300 with you guys, OPSing, uh, you know, up over 900 with this tremendous walk rate as well. Um, what's gone into the success that, that Turconi's had for you guys this year and what is the, the kind of next challenge for him as he ascends a level? Uh, I think, I think ultimate belief in self is probably one of his strongest tools. Um, I think, I think, Turcone, Michael Turconi believes in himself more than nearly anyone uh, that I've come across. And, and that's just cool. He's clubhouse guy. Great. Just great all around. Um, but what goes into it, as you mentioned, the walk rate, it, it wasn't that great to start the year. Um, and I think swinging at good pitches and laying off bad ones is, you know, as simple as that is to say, if you were to look at his numbers and walk rates and K rates early in the year, they were completely opposite or, or in different directions and they're trending right now. And, uh, and then there, you know, some powers come along with his hard work. And, um, so yeah, confidence, confidence and swinging good pitches is a, is a dangerous recipe at the plate. And, and I think that's something that Turconi figured out this year with us and yeah, hopefully he's up there. He'll be there today and in the lineup tomorrow, we hope, and we'll be cheering him on from the clubhouse here. Awesome. Um, when it comes to those, you know, kind of swing decisions, trimming the K rate a little bit, uh, establishing the walks, how much has that been the focus for Alex DeJesus since he, since he joined you guys uh, around this time last year? I've noticed a pretty big, you know, uh, obviously I can't 
tune into a, a ton of games, but I know it's a pretty significant trim in the, in the strikeout rate for him this year as he's had a bit of a, you know, a bit of an offensive breakout for you guys relative to what he did after coming over last year. Yeah. Alex, extremely talented, still 21 years old, I believe. And, and you're right. He's, he's walking as much or more and, and striking out less than he did last year. But, uh, and he's doing it with some power numbers too, hitting in the middle of our order as a 21 year old. So um, no, just incredibly impressed by Alex and what he's capable of and the person he is and the emphasis he puts into his work and not surprised, uh, you know, things are trending upwards for him. And, you know, I, myself, I was never traded, but, um, you know, it's not an easy thing sometimes. So I do think there's a little bit of an acclimation period when you come to your new organization. But Alex was great when he came to us last year for the last little stretch run. And, and he's been just an absolute rock for us this year. So um, hopefully he'll be one of those names we're moving up again sometime soon as well. I was speaking to someone recently and, you know, I was kind of, this was pre-trade deadline when I was looking at some of the names in the New Hampshire Fisher Cats rotation. And I, I asked, Hey, is this the, the best rotation in the system? And that person said, no, it's probably the Vancouver Canadians. Now that was before the Fisher Cats had to reach down and take a couple of your guys away. And I know Dion Santos uh, has been injured the last little bit here, but when you look at what your starting pitchers and your bullpen have been able to do, um, I think about a, a guy like Devereaux Harrison, maybe who, you know, at 22 having such a tremendous season for you guys. Um, what's gone into the success of the pitching staff for you guys in Vancouver? Oh, I mean, I, I point that right to our pitching coaches right away and pitching department, but, you know, mental performance as well. Um, and then and then it's the player taking advantage of, of all the assets and all the resources they have here. Um, like I said, our pitching coaches are great. They're really prepared. We reflect and review off of every outing. We we prepare on our advanced work to, you know, to win the next outing. And, um and these guys are hungry and, and they see how, how well the big league team's doing and how close we are to, you know, major championships there at that level. And, and they all want to help and they all want to be part of it. So yeah, those names you mentioned, Devereaux, I mean, Adam Macko is going tonight for us. Um, gosh, so many more. And, and like you said, we have moved, we've moved a good bulk of our rotation and early season relievers up already. And it just ends up being like the next guy. And, um, you know, a guy like Sam Ryan, who wasn't, exactly you know a huge name coming out of spring training i think he threw 21 scoreless innings in in june and july like that's that's a huge <laughs> we attribute a lot of our success to, to seasons and, and streaks like that so um you know ian churchill's a guy who i mean i'm, I'm gonna kind of knock on wood here i don't think he's a lot of runs since he's been promoted to us um so just kind of silent contributors that do their job you know every every time their name's called and you know, it's weird that, you know, when you don't walk guys and you pitch in the heart of the plate and, and you've got good stuff that, you know, you're getting outs and, and you're putting pressure on hitters. And I think that's what, what we've just done all year. We've just attacked and, you know, put the hitter on the defensive side of it. You mentioned Adam Mako there. For anyone who didn't see it, Shai Davidi of Sportsnet.ca caught up with Adam Mako recently. Shai's got kind of a minor league system roundup up at Sportsnet.ca right now. A good chat with Adam Mako about some of the the mental skills you mentioned, Brandon, and sticking with the process, not over adjusting to each swing and results and things like that. Um, in terms of you know who's joining or, or not joining you guys, do you have uh, uh, any recent update on, on Santos at all in terms of where he's at in his recovery or when? you guys might get him back 
No, at the moment I have, I don't have a return date. Uh, I wish it would be tomorrow or today. Um, but yeah, no, we, we read those reports and, and hope to see good. Um, I don't think it's anything major. It's just with him, who he is, what he's capable of, what lies in his future. Um, a good time to be rather safe than sorry and, and just let these things work themselves out. But, um, optimistic. We still see him back this season. So, um, yeah, I mean, love to see him in the playoff in the playoff setting at 20 years old. He was up here last year to to witness that as a 19 year old. I don't think he pitched in the playoffs. It was unfortunately a quicker series than we were hoping. Um, but love to see Dion back in a setting like that because he's uh, ultra competitive and um, secretly I've been I've been a huge fan of his since he was 17 mm-hmm. when I got to manage him in the complex league and you know something you know just about guys you've, you've watched go through this for, for many years and you want to see them, you know, succeed and excel in the biggest spot. So yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping he's back with us by the playoff push or that, that playoff season. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, we, I, I would certainly look forward to that and seeing how he, uh, he looks in that environment for you guys. Uh, Brent on the, on the personal side, I, I know that you are a North Delta kid originally, and you're now managing Vancouver. And we talked about this a little bit when you came on the show last year, but it was still kind of new and things like that in your second go round. Now that you have the lay of the land and your footing under you, are you able to appreciate even more the, the fact that you're managing this team kind of in your own backyard? Yeah, I think um, daily, you know, while while standing out there at Nat Bailey, no matter where it is or, or what setting it is, it's hard not to let yourself drift into just reminding, you know, remembering how cool this moment is uh, for myself, my family. Gosh, I mean, baseball fans in BC possibly. So, and, and none of this is about myself or my story there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's hard not to catch moments of, you know, uh, nostalgia, I guess, and, and, and just get caught up in your feelings kind of, so to speak, but, um, no, just a cool opportunity that not many people get. And, you know, who knows how long this opportunity to manage my hometown team is, but, um, there's not enough games left is uh, of this year is how I kind of go into every night. And, um, I'm glad we've got at least three to five more, um, at the end of the season there to, to keep it going. And, we're, I think we're hosting games three, four, and five if necessary for the playoffs. So it'd be really cool to, to have the chance to win, you know, win a championship on our field. And the fans and the, the community have been great. The, the Canadians organization are, are great and totally supportive of us. So, um, yeah, I couldn't have, couldn't have scripted any better here myself. And if you're a Vancouver area baseball fan, uh, those three dates, September 15, 16, 17 games, three, four, and five of the, uh, of the championship four and five, of course, if necessary, if you guys don't do the sweep, uh, lots of baseball to catch before then in Vancouver down at the Nat as well, including tonight, seven o'clock local time, 10 o'clock Eastern. As you guys continue this, uh, this six game series against tri city, Brent, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning. Uh, congrats on uh, a wild win last night and best of luck rest of the season. Thank you, Blake. I appreciate you having me and look forward to talking again sometime soon. Brent LaValle, manager of the Vancouver Canadians, who sit atop the Northwest League at 63 and 39. It's one of the best records in all of minor league baseball. They've already punched their ticket through to the championship, which will take place in mid-September. They'll be on the road for the first two games of a best of five, and then they get to host three, four, five, 
down at the Nat. Uh, can't, I, when I lived in Vancouver, I was a regular down at the Nat. Um, can't recommend it enough if you're someone who lives in that area or uh, happen to be traveling to that area and, and the Canadians are at home while you're there. It's a blast. And, and as Brent just kind of laid out for us, a lot of a lot of very interesting prospects, even as they've graduated what feels like half the roster to the New Hampshire Fisher Cats over the last little while. We're going to take a break. We're going to go down to Cleveland, talk to Arden Zwelling. Uh, he's been on the road for the Red Sox series for this series as well. Had a, a couple of great pieces at sportsnet.ca coming out of the Boston Red Sox series, uh, focusing on a little bit on the the chaos of those first couple games. A great read on Davis Schneider as well. We'll talk to Arden a little bit more about Davis Schneider's path, his moment of almost leaving baseball at one point. I will also get some injury updates, things like that. Help you tee up tonight's game between Kevin Gosman and Logan Allen. When JSTOCK Plus continues on the Sports Radio Network and Sports at 360, it's Arden's Welling on the other side. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, Jay's lose last night. They'll try to clinch at least the split of the series tonight when they go for game three of four against the Cleveland Guardians. Kevin Gosman against Logan Allen. Tomorrow is scheduled to be Alec Manoa against Noah Syndergaard. Uh, we'll see on the weekend against the Cubs. But it is currently penciled to be Steele, Smiley, and Tyon on the Chicago side. It'll be Barrios, Bassett, and... Ryu question mark for the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll talk to Arden Zwelling in a couple minutes here, get an update. Uh, hear the latest on Ryu as well as a couple of the other rehabbing Toronto Blue Jays. Some great work from Arden Zwelling up at sportsnet.ca from over the weekend in Boston for that Red Sox series. Uh, while we're talking about sportsnet.ca, if you have a second today, I'm going to do a little self-promotion. I had a big feature go up at sportsnet.ca today on WWE superstar Omos who uh, actually came through Masai Ujiri's Giants of Africa basketball program to get to the U.S. originally, um, came through as a basketball prospect, went to a couple different colleges, eventually when his basketball career ended, made his way to the WWE. He has a really touching story. He was uh, a tremendous guy to talk to. I could not find a baseball hook to bring him onto this show like I did with uh, with a couple others, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see in the future as well. SmackDown's here uh, next Friday, so we'll see if we can pull one of the baseball fan wrestlers into uh, Jay's Talk Plus. I did see LA Knight throw out the first pitch at the Mets game yesterday, so maybe we uh, we get a little lucky there. If you're looking for the book on Logan Allen tonight, take it back to baseball here. 24-year-old lefty, another rookie for the Cleveland Guardians. They never end. Uh, he has a 365 ERA on the season, doesn't walk a ton of guys, doesn't strike out a ton of guys, but a reasonable enough swinging strike rate. Um, you know, he's got not an average profile overall because most of the results are slightly above average, but nothing too outlier in terms of, you know, strike it rate, a walk rate, a ground ball rate or anything like that. Uh, he's just really solid all around. And I think if you're looking at a rookie's performance, uh, if you're the Cleveland Guardians, a guy who's already, as a 24-year-old rookie, kind of just solid all around, is an encouraging building block. Now, some of the batted ball data doesn't back that up. He's been hit hard 
at times he's in the 33rd percentile in terms of expected ERA based on some of the, the batted ball data along with the walk and strike rate. So um, there's an indication there that, that maybe worse days are ahead as the league maybe gets to look at him. And uh, you'll be shocked to hear this. He's another guy on this Cleveland team who throws a 92 mile an hour fastball and sits around the zone a lot with it. Now the big challenge with Allen is of course going to be that he is uh, a lefty and he's been very tough on lefties this season. We'll see how that one plays out. We'll continue to tee that game up with you. Uh, Right now, we're going to take it back to the Red Sox series, though. Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca joins us now. You know it's a special day. We get the elusive and rare Arden Zwelling Instagram post. What a day, man. How are you? Good, man. Good. I don't like putting pictures of myself on the internet. It's very uncomfortable. (laughs) Uh, But a lot of people tell me I need to do that more. So I'm going against my better instincts on occasion. Those are just the people who are big Arden's Welling fans and want to see your, your handsome face a little more often. Look, I, I at least you're not in here on studio or uh, in studio where the people can see you for the the entire segment. That's a, that's a plus at least. Um, man, you got to do the Boston series. You, you pivoted back to the writing side for that series. You're of course doing the the dugout side reporting for this Guardian series. Um, Man, they gave you a, a pretty good one on the weekend as far as dipping your toe back on the writing side. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everything was happening, right? David Snyder showed up uh, and went off. I mean, half the lineup had like four extra base hits <laughs> apiece. Uh, the pitching continued to be really solid. Uh, and there was just like a lot going on in Boston, too, with all the Verdugo stuff on the other side. So, uh, yeah, that was a pretty cool one to cover. So for anyone who didn't see it, you, you wrote a couple things out of the Boston series, uh, including, you know, the the sweep and the weird and wonderful, as you called it, uh, finish. Um, but you also went a little deeper on Davis Schneider's MLB debut. And I know that you talked about it a little bit on the broadcast in terms of him almost walking away from baseball at one point. I, I know these are the kind of guys you love telling stories about it and guys that you, you know, you had mentioned Davis Schneider to me maybe before anyone else fairly early in this season when he started to have some AAA success. Um, how cool is it to get to tell that story? And for anyone who, you know, missed the story or missed your updates on the Blue Jays broadcast a little bit, um, man, just how, just how low did things get for Davis Schneider before he found his way kind of moving back up? Uh, back in Vancouver the other year. Yeah, it's funny. It's the kind of story you usually get late in the year on a non-contending team, right? You, you usually get like these type of stories on that team that's out of it in September and we're all looking for something to talk about. And it's, oh, here's this org guy who they give it a shot to and he's had a little bit of success. You're not used to getting these stories on teams that are like in postseason mm-hmm. position uh, in August. So it is like kind of cool to get to tell the story. How could you not love it? Um, I mean, everybody in the organization is ecstatic for Davis Snyder. Um, His teammates now at the big league level are reacting to him differently than I think you would see them react to maybe other prospects who come up and have some success. I think that anybody who's in the game, A, understands how hard baseball is and how hard it is to be successful, but B, understands how hard it is for a guy like Davis Snyder who was like ticketed to org guy status, who was a late-round high school pick and signed for a minuscule bonus, how hard it is for guys like him to get opportunities and to fight their ways to the big leagues and to really push their way through the door to get the opportunity that he's getting now. So, like, as you said, like, for good reason, David Snyder, just two years ago, thought he was done. 
with baseball. I mean, he said a few times, I mean, he didn't believe that this day that he's having right now was going to come. And there was a point two years ago where he was hitting like a hundred midway through the season in uh, low A at the time and playing once a week and thought, you know, I'm going to hang him up and I'm going to quit. And he started telling people that too and started putting that out there like, yep, I'm, I'm just baseball's not for me. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to go do something else. And he got some encouragement from former teammates and from people around him to keep with it. Blue Jays had, you know, a guy in their system who he reached out to who had been released by the organization. And he told David Schneider, hey, man, if I was still in your position, I would not quit. I'd give anything just to be in your position playing once a week and not having success. So, uh, you know, David Schneider stuck with it and has, like, really made use of every resource developmentally that the Blue Jays make available to their players um, and has made something out of himself. And we'll kind of see what the future holds. But, I mean, for now, what he's done over his first four big league games, I mean, it's something that a lot of people in the organization can remember for a long time. Yeah, and even if, uh, you know, even say he settles in as, you know, obviously he's elevated himself past random org guy status, but even if he's not, you know, a gangbusters 900 OPS guy forever, I'd imagine organizationally, and I I was just speaking to Brent LaValle, the the manager of the Vancouver Canadiens, where David Schneider was not too long ago. Um, Man, the value of this for the Toronto Blue Jays organization in, in terms of, hey, here's the blueprint, here's what can happen, here's why you stick to a plan, um, Man, can you picture a scenario where there are pretty big ripple effects just in terms of how this organization, I mean, they're not going to change how they operate necessarily, but using him as a kind of a a teaching tool and something they can point to, to say, hey, you know, stick with us, be patient. Here's what can happen. It's a good case study, definitely. And like there's there's other examples that I think they would have been pointing to. You look at a guy like Kevin Pillar who came to the organization as a late round pick and carved out a pretty long MLB career for himself. John Birdie is another guy who comes to mind who was a, a late round pick and had to scratch and claw his way up the minors and really like worked that much harder than um, individuals with a lot more natural true talent to get the most out of himself. And I mean now John Birdie is like a big leaguer and everyday regular big leaguer who is like leading the league in steals and you know having like pretty decent success uh, at the plate with the Miami Marlins uh, probably didn't make his big league debut until late in his 20s so you do get these stories every once in a while and I think yeah it definitely helps when there's some recency to it and when there's probably people in the Blue Jays system who know Davis Schneider and who can say hey I saw that guy at the facility in the offseason I saw the way that he ate the way that he trained the way that he slept the way that he studied like I saw the work ethic and what he did to maximize his ability and, and his talent and get to the level that he's at right now I mean it's the case in a lot of fields in life right like some of us just have to work a bit harder than others. Some of us just not as naturally talented as as other folks, not as blessed or or as gifted or as innately talented as others. Um, But if you really put your nose to the grindstone and you, like, actually, it's just, I can't believe all these cliches and spinning right now, Blake, Mm. but if you actually, you know, do buy in and do, like, really just find that 1% every day, find that little win every day, keep making those little incremental gains, really nail your habits and your routines and everything, 
yeah, you, you can do some pretty cool stuff over time. Yeah, I mean, those cliches are cliches for a reason, and that's part of the draw of sports, right? Like, when none of us can be, none of us talking about this right now, like you and I or most of the listeners can be David Schneider and perform at a major league level, but you can take those lessons and you can kind of take the inspiration from it, and that's that's part of the draw of doing all this. Okay, so um, that's the story to this point. Now, in terms of how this year has changed the org's thinking on him, um, certainly they're not going to overreact to his first three games at the major league level, but he's had a pretty tremendous triple A season. He got that call up over guys who were already on the 40 man, perhaps Um, how much has Davis Schneider changed the organization's outlook on him for, you know, I'm thinking ahead to, Hey, you're going to have openings at potentially second base, third base, one of the outfield spots and DH next year. Has he changed their kind of near term thinking about, whether he's a, a piece for this team? Well, he's on the 40 now. Yep. And he's still got his options going forward. So uh, there's a lot of value there. And obviously, he can play a bunch of different positions. Like, he brought three gloves to the big leagues. I know we've only really talked about the one, obviously, at the great reporting that Hazel did on that. But he's, like, got his outfielder's glove. He's got his first baseman's mitt. So he's a guy who will play all around the diamond, um, not behind the plate and probably not, you know, in center field either. But there's a lot of places you can line him up that and yeah the defense probably isn't going to be outstanding but he's definitely playable so there's a lot of utility there for the Blue Jays certainly with just the ways that they can fit him into a lineup and the optionable status next year as well and if he can carry over his plate approach and his swing decisions from AAA to the majors um, that's you know that's going to be a piece I think that the Blue Jays utilize next year I don't think he's an everyday player for this club next year but i think you could definitely see him like being a, a part-time player at times maybe he's in triple a at times when he gets squeezed out in a roster crunch but you know you just look at all the different things that he brings to uh to a club yeah i think there's definitely a role for him on the 2024 blue jays and hey man let me tell you if, if the abs shows up <laughs> in the majors next year or the year after that like this is a guy who knows how to take advantage of the automated ball strike system he's listed at like five nine he's probably actually shorter than that but he's got a very um you know narrow vertical strike zone and he understands what's going to be called a ball on a strike i mean that's why you saw some of the walk numbers from him in the minors so that shows up in the majors i mean this is a guy who's ready to take advantage of it yeah i mentioned a little earlier in the show actually that because of the the abs system uh you know tri- the triple a international league has an obp up around 355 uh on the season and a walk rate up around 11 percent. so we have to uh adjust for that a little bit when it's coming to translating guys from triple uh, a to the majors uh, Arden this is also I, I think a pretty good reminder that you know I, I know you and I joke sometimes that there's all the high level stuff and then you and I get into like the really nitty-gritty things that maybe there's a, a smaller niche for on this show but all that little stuff really does matter um, throughout the organization and maybe you don't think it's going to matter and then a Bobachette gets hurt or something like that um, in, in terms of you know, the nearer term, we just talked about 2024 a little bit. What is the path for David Schneider to keeping this role once Bo Bichette is back? Or is that not a path that's really there unless he just goes, you know, continues to go insane this next week or two? Uh, that'll depend probably, right? You look at how Santiago Espinal is performing. You look at how Paul DeYoung is performing. You look at how much shortstop Bo Bichette can play. 
in a week when he's back, how many DH days he needs, whether they ease him in. Uh, it's going to be one of those sort of interesting scenarios, one of those uh, good problems to have that the Blue Jays have to navigate their way through is, is when Bo Bichette's healthy and if everyone else is healthy and effective, um, what do you do between an Espinal, a Biggio, a DeYoung, and a Schneider? It's hard to imagine. There's room for all of those on a major league roster when Bo Bichette is back and playing every day. So it's one of those classic Schulmanisms, right? These <laughs> things have a way of sorting themselves out. Uh, but that's going to be an interesting decision for the Blue Jays. But it might come at a time of the year, you know, towards the end of August, early September, where you're looking at having that extra roster spot yeah. anyway. So that might help you just take care of it right there. Uh, Arden, I, I know you tweeted as much yesterday, but in case anyone missed it, what is the latest on Bo Bichette and where he's at kind of working his way back here? Yeah, he's been gradually increasing um, activity in Toronto. There was talk on the weekend that he might start swinging a bat. That didn't happen. There was some talk earlier this week he might start swinging a bat. That didn't happen. So we'll see what kind of update we get today. Um, but I, like the big test for him, obviously, is going to be running the bases and starting and stopping and moving laterally and really kind of testing his, his athleticism on that knee and how dynamic he can be in, in base running. So the next step is, is hitting, and, and once we get that, then they can move forward to trying to, to get him to run a little bit. So that's you know, until we hear that he's running and sprinting and all that, um, the return, unfortunately, won't be too close. Uh, the other key injured name is closer Jordan Romano, and he's, it feels like this was not very long ago, but he's already coming up on the 15 days here or so. He, I, I know he's going to do, uh, he's going to throw off a, a mound again today, and, and I believe the, the update yesterday was that the team's still undecided on, on if he's going to need a rehab assignment or not before he returns. Yeah, they haven't sorted that out yet. I know what Jordan Romano would say. <laughs> uh, and, you know, here we are getting to that point in the year where it's like everyone is really important. And if Jordan Romano is going to be out there throwing 98-mile-an-hour fastballs and getting whiffs on sliders, I mean, he might as well be doing it for your big league club. Uh, it's just going to kind of depend on how the Blue Jays feel about this layoff that he's had and, and being out of competition for a couple of weeks and whether they just want to make absolutely – Super certain that he's good to go and give him one inning at AAA Buffalo. But if he does go on a rehab assignment, I mean, yeah, I think it would just be one inning, just to make sure it's all systems go, and then he would return. Yeah, that's uh, that's a positive. It sounds like he's not too far away then, uh, even if he does require the stint there. Uh, the other bit of injury news from yesterday's pregame that, that you were tweeting about after talking to John Schneider and you updated us during the, the broadcast, and this is a... This is a pretty big surprise after the way things looked on Monday. Hyunjin Ryu could potentially still make his start on Sunday after taking that comebacker to the knee? Yes, he absolutely still could. That's going to depend on a side session that he'll throw in the coming days. Like They're going to want to get Ryu off a mound and make sure that he's feeling good. But I think that everybody was kind of surprised with how much better he felt yesterday. Uh, I think he responded to treatment really well and I think that in the moment it was like quite a shock and it was just like it's a 98 mile an hour comebacker off the knee like I can't even imagine what that feels like and I can't even imagine the amount of pain he was in in the moment but I think that with you know proper recovery and, and icing and resting and, and a lot of the treatment the Blue Jays can do for things like this I think they can get 100 Ryu back to a place where he can start on Sunday so that'd be great news we'll see how the side session goes 
if he isn't able to start, the Blue Jays have a pretty good uh, alternative <laughs> in Yusei Kikuchi on, on regular rest. So there is that there, too. And they got three off days in the span of eight days the following week. So there's a lot of different off-ramps and avenues the Blue Jays can take here. Yeah, it's it's going to be a weird one where, like, someone is going to end up not pitching for nine or ten days within that stretch uh, anyway. Do you have a sense yet of how they'll manage that or how they intend to? Or is that, you know, is that too much of a TBD given Ryu status, Romano, things like that? Back to the shulmanism, right? Yeah. These things uh, have a way of taking care of themselves. I'm, I'm just going to say that everyone, every time someone gives me one of those unanswerable <laughs> questions that you know the radio host knows I don't have the answer to, I'm just going to go to the shulmanism because yeah, look, it's something the Blue Jays are working through yeah. right now, and it's going to depend on performance and health and availability. It's going to depend a lot on matchups too, right? You look at that Orioles series that, that is looming, um, you're going to want to line that up as optimally as possible. You want the three ideal arms going at Camden Yards against the Orioles because those games are really, really important. And I'm not saying that the Cincinnati Reds games aren't important, but the games against the Orioles are more important than those games against Cincinnati. So the Blue Jays are going to want to line things up there, and they have the ability to do so with those three off days in in the span of eight days. Given the makeup of the Orioles lineup and how that ballpark suppresses right-handed power at some times, would you, in some order, think Gosman, Brios, and Kikuchi over Bassett are the three you'd want in that series, just with the lefty against a team that has a few tough lefties and at a park that doesn't play to righty power all that well? I don't think that's the craziest idea at all. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> it's it's funny how you think Kikuchi has pitched his way into this uh, into this scenario. I mean, you look at some of the plate appearances that the Orioles had against Blue Jays right-handed pitchers. Um, their last, you know, that that series at Rogers Center last week. I mean, they they had a really good idea against Chris Bassett. For you know, for argument's sake, they had a really good idea against Kevin Gosman. Mm-hmm. as well like Osmond wasn't as sharpest that day um I don't think he located as well as he wanted to he wanted to go into lefties a lot more that day than I think he was able to at least he intended to and just he just couldn't get pitches to where he wanted them to be for one reason or another um and I think that you know Chris Bassett was you know pretty frustrated with just the the game plan that that the Orioles had against him and pretty frustrated with himself for some tipping tendencies that that revealed themselves there and like he wasn't certain that the Orioles definitely had something on him, but he was pretty certain that he was giving something away in his mm. pre-pitch setup. So um, there's a lot of interesting variables there. And then, yeah, I mean, you say Kikuchi, it's so funny to refer to him in this manner, but like he's the, he's the steady one, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's the constant, he's kind of the reliable guy who you don't, seems like you don't have to worry about against anybody, which is, which is remarkable. Um, so it, it's, it'll be interesting to see how they line it up there. But yeah, I think you are kind of onto something there with maybe Kikuchi being a, a better matchup for the Orioles than, than Bassett at this time. That'll be interesting to see. Uh, you mentioned Kevin Gosman, kind of a rough one last time out against the Orioles. Not terrible, but but not the Gosman we've come to expect. This is a Guardians team that, depending on what happens with Jose Ramirez, could put as many as eight switch or left-handed bats in the lineup tonight against Gosman. They are the lowest strikeout team in all of baseball, even though they have a, 
a pretty pedestrian uh, record when it comes to, you know, chasing outside of the zone and, and zone swing rate and things like that. There's a very good strikeout results and not terrific process there. If you're Kevin Gosman, you're looking at a lefty heavy lineup and they don't strike out a ton, but they are a little prone to chase. Are, are you doing anything different? Are, are you tweaking anything for this team? Or are you just waiting until they show they can hit Kevin Gosman? Like, number one's going to be execution mm-hmm. to lefties because he just needs to get the ball in to lefties a lot more consistently than he's been able to recently. And I, he's trying to. Like, he's just been missing the spots and, and been kind of frustrated with it. So that's number one. Number two, kind of sneaky one, Kevin Gosman's going to do pitch. He's throwing a sweeper now, and he's using it against lefties. Um, if you see anything from him that is, like, kind of around 80 and uh, just kind of like looks like a slow breaking ball. That's his sweeper. And it's something that like Chris Bassett has been on him all year to start throwing just as a change of speeds option, a change the the eye level option. I don't think it's something that's ever going to jump off the page metrically um, or something that you're ever going to go, whoa, like this is going to be really effective. It's really just like an early count against a lefty steal a strike or um, backdoor to a lefty kind of in a tough spot where you're, you're getting a battle. Like it's just one of, one of those pitches, like keeping in, in the mind of the hitter and having your back pocket and kind of surprise people with it. I mean, he hasn't thrown it a ton to this point. I know he hasn't thrown it to a righty yet. Um, that could be something that's coming, but it, it is something that Gosman's been quietly working on and starting to deploy a little bit. The happiest guy in the Blue Jays clubhouse about this is Chris Bassett. Because <laughs> he's been encouraging Gosman to start throwing this pitch because, like, Bassett's had a lot of success with it too, with the change of speeds, change the eye level weapon. And, like, Bassett's point is hey, man, like, Kevin Gosman, you throw a lot harder than me. So if this is effective for me at my VLO, it's going to be really effective for you at your VLO. So that's another thing that, that I'll kind of have my eye on against lefties here. Yeah, that's uh, that's a, if Chris Bassett has his way, every catcher's job is going to be impossible by the end of uh, <laughs> by the end of Chris Bassett's tenure as pitcher slash pitching coach. Uh, Arden Zwelling, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning, man. Uh, looking forward to you again on the broadcast tonight. Cheers. Thanks, Blake. Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet. Uh, catch him next to the dugout during uh, the Blue Jays broadcast tonight. Uh, Of course, all his usual updates. And and then if you miss anything from the weekend, including that great piece on David Schneider, you can go to Arden's page uh, at sportsnet.ca or our Blue Jays page at sportsnet.ca and check out more there. Kevin Gosman against Logan Allen tonight. A couple smaller updates beyond just the uh, injury updates. Baseball America just released their um, top 30 prospects for each system following the trade deadline deals and also included uh, new draft picks. So uh, the Jays have a new top of the system over at Baseball America. Our pals there, uh, you can go check it out. Ricky Tiedemann at number one and Aurelvis Martinez at number two hasn't really changed. Uh, but first round pick Arjun Amala slots in at number three there. So immediately at 17 years old, fresh from the draft, slots in as the Jays' number three prospect. Uh, the top five runs out with Brandon Barriera, who has just been shut down again, by the way, uh, and Addison Barger, who is red hot at AAA. Three more hits yesterday, and I believe our pal Brandon Kuhn tweeted out that he had five of the six highest exit velocities in the entire game. Um, if you're looking for other risers in the system, Davis Schneider's up to 10 now. Uh, Leo Jimenez, who we've talked about a lot at AA, uh, mostly for the glove 
but coming around as a hitter as well. He's up to seven. And then Alan Roden, who uh, we mentioned briefly with Brent LaValle when we talked to him uh, about the Vancouver Canadians earlier, uh, got the promotion to double A after half a season here at the top of a very good Vancouver Canadians order. So you can go and uh, check that out at Baseball America for the full top 30. I believe MLB Pipeline is going to have a, an updated top 30 sometime soon. We'll bug Keegan Matheson about that in his next uh, weekly chat with us. So Logan Allen, lefty on the hill, fairly significant platoon splits. I mentioned it before Arden came on. Pretty good results all across the board. Nothing too outlier strong, nothing too outlier bad, although he does uh, you know, have some underlying indicators that suggest he probably shouldn't be uh, a 370-ish ERA guy. He should probably be a little less fortunate than that. Uh, he's a lefty who throws 91-92, and it's a fastball that's kind of all over the zone. And like we've talked about, it's not one of those high spin fastballs. It's not one of those rising or flat fastballs. If you prefer, he's not a huge guy who gets great extension down the mound Uh, with him. It's more about deception and tunneling. He also doesn't throw that fastball quite as much as say a Gavin Williams. He'll mix in a sweeper and change up in heavy volume as well. Also throws a cutter and a slider. We'll see if the Jays go righty heavy there. Uh, Although they don't have that option in center field with Kevin Kiermaier on the IL and Dalton Varsho, really the only center fielder now, uh, other than maybe Nathan Lucas, who's, hey, also a lefty. Uh, could see seven or eight righties in that lineup tonight, though. Kevin Gosman could see seven or eight lefties from the Guardians, depending on the status of Jose Ramirez. Uh, we will be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. to t- break it all down and set up tomorrow's 1 p.m. game. Blair and Barker in the 5-7 to seven slot for you, as usual. They'll also have Jay's talk for you post-game. Uh, Devang and Jesse Rubinoff coming up next live from Sobe Stadium at the National Bank Open. And a special thank you to Nick Blackmore, who's been filling in for Jeff as a party the last couple days as Jeff's off because he got a cute new dog. Thanks also to Lance Kennedy and Jennifer Rolnick. We'll be back tomorrow on the Sportsnet Radio Network at Sportsnet 360.